Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Catholic Connect podcast on another beautiful day that the Lord has made. Quote, there is no evil to be faced that Christ does not face with us. There is no enemy that Christ has not already conquered. There is no cross to bear that Christ has not already borne for us and does not now bear with us. End quote. From the great St. John Paul II, you know, one of so many quotes and so many inspirational writings of St. John Paul II, uh, I can only imagine what it'd be like right now. Can you imagine? He went to, I believe, over 100 countries. I know he was in Canada a few times. Uh, he was in Edmonton when I was two. I got very close to him, uh, but I was, I was quite young, so I didn't quite appreciate that opportunity as much as I would today. But just such an amazing example of holiness and uh, though not perfect for sure as anybody that's human, any Pope is not perfect, but uh, really the Pope for, for that time, he, he came at the right time and his influence, especially what he did in the, um, in the war, that battle to fight communism and Marxism. That's something that we can take those notes and apply today because our world is full of Marxist sympathizers and communists and enemies of the church. Uh, let's just keep it real and call it for what it is. So I was really happy to track down Patrick Novakoski uh, from Saskatchewan originally. All the cool guys come from Saskatchewan. I don't know if that's uh, what you've noticed or not, cool guys and cool girls. But it was so neat to catch up with Patrick and his ministry. He wrote a great book about the life of St. John Paul II. And he's doing some other great work in the church right now. So we're going to talk about that in this episode and in this interview. And I want to wish a happy new year to everyone. We are in 2022. And again, this is a time for us to say, what can we do in our spiritual lives? What is our resolution that we have got to make and we have got to follow through on this year? And uh, I know that that's something that you can't sometimes make just one decision that's all encompassing that's going to cover you for a year. But it's got to be an ongoing decision, an ongoing decision to walk with Jesus Christ in a state of grace, live the sacramental life, and see what Jesus is calling you to in your state of life. Most of us are married. We have families. We have kids. Maybe we have grandkids. We work in the world, but we're not of the world. But there is something that we're all called to do to bring and to build this kingdom of Jesus Christ. And uh, on this journey, it's not easy. But rest assured, there's a lot of people that are in the exact same boat as you are on this journey. We're going to do this together. And that's why I'm so excited for 2022. Whatever challenges that come our way, we know our Lord Jesus Christ is with us, and we have a lot of great players on this team. So without further ado, very happy and very blessed to introduce you to Patrick Novakoski. Speaking of good guys on our team right now, and we're going to talk a little bit about the life of St. John Paul II and some of the good work that Patrick is doing right now. We'll see you on the other side, my friends. My name is Christopher. Uh, you're listening to the Catholic Canuck podcast with my dad. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, it's a great blessing to have this gentleman join our podcast. Born and raised in Saskatchewan, so I already like him, and I'm sure our listeners already like him because he's from Saskatchewan. He's an international speaker, author of a fantastic book called 100 Ways That John Paul II Changed the World, and he's a managing partner at Nova Media, which is a marketing and communications firm for Catholic organizations. Most importantly, he's a family man and our brother in Christ, Welcome, Patrick Novakoski, to the podcast. Welcome, Patrick. Great to be with you, David. Well, that's awesome. I'm really glad that we got to to catch up with each other. And I was telling you a little bit offline uh, that uh, somehow we managed to connect on Facebook. 
And uh, I saw a picture of you with uh, your son, and he has um, a, uh, a hat with the S on it of Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I didn't know much about your background at the time, Patrick, but I said, there's got to be a story behind this. So I uh, found out that you are from Saskatchewan, and uh, obviously from those humble beginnings on the prairies, uh, the Lord has taken you to all kinds of uh, on some great adventures. So maybe start with us there, Patrick, uh, with uh, where your, your humble beginnings and... Uh, and how you got to where you are today. Well, interesting you should put it that way because I have Humboldt beginnings. Humboldt, Saskatchewan, born, that's born right. Born and raised in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. So I come from a Humboldt background. <laughs> my my uh, my parents raised me and my eight siblings on a farm just south of Humboldt in a little town called Burr, on a farm near Burr. As a matter of fact, five miles south of Burr on Highway 20. And... Uh, yeah, I just grew up in the prairies and, you know, the cold winters of Saskatchewan and the beautiful summers. And uh, my dad was a diehard Rough Riders fan and that sank deep into my bones. And I carried that with me and still carry that with me. My sons, uh, three three of my four sons, as a matter of fact, are are diehard Rough Rider fans. The other one is not, not much of a sports uh, guy, but uh, appreciates what we do. So, um, yeah, so grew up on the prairies and Went to the University of Saskatchewan, got my degree there, moved over to Calgary and got my uh, my journalism and communications training at SAIT and moved back to Saskatchewan for a few years and worked for the Archdiocese of Regina for about three years uh, in the early 90s. And then just had the opportunity to work for a, a Catholic um, youth magazine called You Magazine. Prior to that was Veritas. Um, from uh, it was 1996, and spent a year there in Southern California with a great group of, of young Catholic professionals, and was was a remarkable transition because it was at a point where I uh, my, my faith had really just blossomed thanks to uh, an, an organization called CCO Catholic Christian Outreach, which was founded at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, went on a retreat with them at a point where. Um, I was really at a hinge point in my faith. Uh, you know, I, I was at a point where I was ready to, to make it my own, but I really had to really dig deep in, and explore if, if it was true. And uh, everything that I, everything that, that I experienced with, with them and, and digging deeper into my faith, uh, I came to believe that, that Jesus was who he said he was. And that was a reality, a very clear reality to me. And, and if, if that's true, then there are a lot of implications that I needed to explore. He, he came, he was a real man, he died, he rose from the dead, and he founded a church. And that's the Roman Catholic Church. And I dug deep into history, into theology, into philosophy. Uh, and um, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not Catholic because I was raised Catholic. I'm Catholic because it's true. If it wasn't true, I would have left a long time ago. And when I accepted that, as a 26, 27 year old man, um, I, I, I began this amazing journey that took me from Regina to Southern California. I was there a year, went over to Massachusetts and worked for the National Shrine of Divine Mercy that's run by the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. Um, I, I didn't know this when they hired me, but uh, the Marians were very close to this guy named John Paul II, Carol Wojtyla. Uh, as a matter of fact, their superior general 
was a teacher with him back in the 50s at Catholic University of Lublin. So uh, I, I'm meeting these, these Polish Catholic priests and learning their connection to John Paul II. And right around that time, I went a trip for two to Cancun. Now, what does that have to do with JP2? Well, uh, I, I called the travel agent and I said, can, can I trade this in for a trip to Rome? And they said, yes. And my boss said, well, since you're going to be in Rome, I was 28 years old. They, they she said, you might as well um, do some work for us and stay at our house there in Rome. I was single at the time. And, uh, and oh, by the way, would you like to meet the Pope? And yeah, this is a mic drop moment where I'm like, um, no kidding. Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So th that was December of 1996 when I won the trip. And over the course of the spring, these conversations are happening with my boss. And as it turns out, so the Marians had priests and brothers behind the Iron Curtain throughout the Soviet era in, in all of the Soviet bloc countries. And John Paul II said to them, we, I want you to re lead the re-evangelization of Eastern Europe. Now, Providence found me in the midst of the, the Marians in Stockbridge. They published a magazine that went out to 250,000 people, that one of the biggest Catholic quarterly magazines still in existence in the United States. And I was their main news writer. And, and I'm going to Rome. And so they... They put me on a list. October 1st, 1997, I met John Paul II for the first time. It was a, a remarkable experience. I, I was also the webmaster of Marion.org, their, their website. So I printed out these pages from the website about divine mercy and John Paul II and his encyclical, Divas in Misericordia, and, and uh, then Blessed Faustina, soon to be Saint Faustina, and, and I presented that to him in a leather folder, in color, very nicely bound, and um, explained all of, all of my work to him. Uh, 60 seconds. I had 60 seconds with the greatest pope of the last thousand years. And he listened to me. He said, thank you. He put a rosary in my hand, and he went to the next person. Um, pivotal moment in, in my life, because... Uh, my whole life growing up, particularly in 1984, when JP2 toured Canada for the first time, uh, for the only time, he came for World Youth Day in 2002, but in 1984, he toured Canada. And really, uh, it, it was a pivotal moment in Canadian history, too, because no pope had ever set foot in Canada. He spent a week, was uh, 10 days in Canada. And um, it was... It was uh, it was memorable for me as a 16-year-old kid to, to see the Pope in my own country, my humble little Canada. And, uh, and then fast forward to, to 1997, just 13 years later. That's amazing. That's just 13 years later. Uh, and there I am in front of him. Yeah, tell tell us about tell us about that sixty seconds, Patrick. What what is that like? I mean, you, you get it. Is that does that seem like uh, hours, or does it seem like it goes by in a half a second? I mean, you must uh, you must have rerun those sixty seconds in your head many times. Uh, over yeah, the yeah. So so I was very anxious, uh, nervous because uh, I went to mass in his private chapel. There were in the papal apartments at the Vatican, um, right across the hall from his bedroom. And I came around the corner when, when his, his secretary led me into the chapel, came around the corner and there he was, like he was, he was 20 feet from me and he was kneeling in front of the tabernacle, 
and and I swear that he glowed this holy glow, mm-hmm. but it might have just been the lights on his white vestments. But my heart literally jumped in my chest, and and the, during the entire mass, uh, they vested him right in front of us, um, and then uh, celebrated mass. He didn't give a homily, uh, he didn't distribute communion, um, but I had holy communion consecrated at the hands of John Paul II, and that was remarkable. I stared at him the whole time. I just wanted to absorb every second of this this 25-minute mass with the Holy Father. Then they let us out into an adjoining room. A few minutes later, he came in, but I, I, was, I was nervous, as I was saying, because I was the only one of those 30, 35 people that actually had a gift for him. So um, I'm preparing in my head what I'm going to say. Um, I mean, I'm just a farm kid from Saskatchewan. I'm here in Rome with, with the Pope, for Pete's sake, right? It, it was a very, oh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not worthy, right? It was one of those I'm not worthy moments. But, but yet God deemed me worthy to, to bring me there. And so I'm working this through in my head what I'm going to say, how I'm going to explain what I'm, uh, what, I'm, what I'm presenting him. And when he walked in the room, all of that anxiety was gone just gone. And I was like about the fifth person that he, he came up to. And um, it was like standing next to my dad saying, Hey dad, look what I did at work today. And, and it was that easy. It was that easy. People ask me all the time, you know, that, that, that he's, he's um, has this, this um, reputation for, for having this aura of holiness about him. And I have to say, yes, it's true. Particularly that first time, that first experience with him, because, um, I'm not sure if we'll get into it all, but I, I was—I had three private audiences with him. I—I I greeted him. I was greeted by him twice in St. Peter's Square. So I had five encounters with John Paul II, uh, and this was just the first one. The first one was very special, um, just just because of that that moment I had with him. So so yeah, I'm, I'm presenting with this. Uh, he puts that rosary in my hand, moves on to the next person. And, and yeah, I do relive those, those 60 seconds and what I said and how I explained it. And, but more I reflect on how he made me feel. Um, people always say this too, that, that they're not going to remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. He mm. made me feel special because he gave me 60 seconds, a full minute of his day. And I, I had the honor, the privilege of being there with him for that moment uh, and, and he didn't have to do that. He's a busy guy. He's, he's running the world in a sense <laughs> as the universal pastor of the whole planet. So, um, yeah, I was just, I was just touched. I was honored. Um, I, and my brother was with me. My brother is still in, in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Uh, he works for a community college there and, and uh, has his own marketing business. Um, he was with me. He was right next to me. And interestingly, um, I, was, I was in Massachusetts at the time. But uh, Bishop Jeevish, now Cardinal Jeevish, introduced my brother, and he said, this young man is from Canada. And the Pope says, oh, Canada. But he didn't finish the song. That's something. <laughs> that's so good. So interesting. Sorry, that's just a joke. That's just a little so joke. But he did. He said, he, uh, it's funny because I'm thinking this in my head. I, I mean, I, I think about people's words. The Pope really did say, oh, Canada. But he didn't finish the song. Didn't keep going, eh? <laughs> Sorry. Maybe he forgot <laughs> that he had to I... sing some in French or something like that. He wasn't uh, sure about Yeah, that. yeah, probably. But probably. you know, it, it's. It, I think it's important to, to highlight because the who Pope John Paul II was to our generation, Patrick, like 
for the longest time, he was the only Pope I ever knew, you know, until Pope Benedict came around. And, uh, you know, I was born in 1981. So until the time of his, his death, I mean, that was, you know, several decades. Um, and then the, when the, cause I remember when the conclave came, it was just such a foreign thing to me. And here I was an adult in right. my twenties, but I was asking, you know, my mom and my dad, my family, so what is it, what, what happens in the conclave? You know? Yeah. And, and you know, I was, I was 10 when John Paul was elected mm-hmm. and I, I barely remember it. And then for 26 and a half years, I mean, I was married with children and I couldn't remember a conclave. And interestingly, you know, since JP two was elected, We've only had two conclaves and, and we've only had one papal funeral since 1978. One pope has died since 1978. The, Think about the that. The side I of mean, our that, times, they're, they're a little extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Papal funeral is almost unprecedented, right? <laughs> and I think for people, because we have a lot of great listeners that are not Catholic, just great people of goodwill, Patrick, that listen to us. But when, when we talk about the Pope, we're talking about the office too, right? We're talking about the yes. office of Peter and that uh, that lineage all the way back that we can trace our, our Pope's right back to St. Peter. And it's it's such a, mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. I've seen, you've probably seen him too. There used to be a, a lot more common, but you'd see these big pictures and they'd have the picture or like a, a portrait painting or whatever of every Pope, you know, throughout history, right to the present. And I always loved that. I just, I'd always just look at all these different names, but not yeah, only, interesting. Yeah. Those, those, those pictures are actually mosaics that are on the wall at St. Paul outside the walls in Rome. Okay. And uh, every time a Pope is elected, they create a new mosaic of, of the Pope and they put it up on the wall. And yeah, you can buy these posters in Rome of all of the Popes going back to Peter and 266, I think we're up to now and with Pope Francis. So um, yeah, it's a remarkable thing to be able to trace uh, our, our, the leadership of the church. Now, Jesus Christ is the head of the Catholic church. Let's be clear about that. Yes. The Pope is just his vicar. It's yes. kind of his steward, the person he places in charge while he's away, but he's not really away. And um, so that we, for our non-Catholic and our Catholic listeners, we need to be very clear about that, that the Pope isn't the head of the church. He's just kind of the guy who's been given the keys to the kingdom uh, until Jesus comes again. But, uh, you know, that's why we pray for him, because he's, he's not infallible unless he proclaims from the seat in it when it comes to faith and morals. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable uh, history of our faith and our tradition. And for Pope John Paul II, I mean, so there's the, the, uh, the office of St. Peter, which he was uh, obviously in the chair of, and then it's Carol Voitila, the man, like who he was. And, yeah. and he had such a, and I'm glad you mentioned just how, you know, the room just changed when he came close to you, right? And, you, how you, yeah. and uh, I'd never met him personally, but I always felt like he, he knew me, that we were, mm-hmm. there was a, a relationship there. When he spoke, it felt like he was speaking to me and through his encyclicals, through his messages, through television. Uh, and the beautiful thing I, I find, you know, just with our church is that even though he's passed away, he's more real now than he was even back then, because there was the distance of an ocean between us. And he, even though he mm-hmm. was the traveling Pope, which was awesome, uh, again, just, uh, highlighting the fact that the church goes to the people, not the other way around. It's always been that way. Sometimes I think we've kind of lost our way with that, right? Our expectation is that people go to to the church, but it's, it's the other way. It's always been the church coming to the people. And I thought 
you know, him just traveling and his, his flying just really highlighted how important that was to him. But uh, yeah, that connection, uh, Patrick, to a generation, our generation and generations after, uh, is something really special, wasn't it, about him? It really was. He he, he had a natural charisma. And interestingly, um, when, he, when he was nine, his mother died. When he was about 12, his, his brother died. He had an older brother who was a doctor, died in, in, an, in a pandemic and um, epidemic. Uh, um, when he was in his early 20s, his father died. So he's, he's 21, 22 years old. He just has started college and his, his father died, leaving him essentially an orphan uh, uh, as a young man. And his friends were really shocked when he announced that he was going to become a priest. He was a very talented, very gifted actor. And they expected that this this good-looking, talented, charismatic, athletic young man uh, was going to conquer Poland on the stage, but um, it was right around the, the outbreak of the Second World War as well, when when the Nazi tanks rolled into Krakow, and he had to take his studies for the priesthood underground. He was at, in a in a, a seminary with the Archbishop of Krakow, um, studying in in secret, and. Um, so the formative years for him, because, you know, people think, oh, he lived in a palace, he traveled the world, he was very gifted, uh, he must have had a great life and, and very privileged. But no, he had a lot of pain in his life. He was he was alone. He was um, he, he 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 was hit by a truck, actually, when he was working uh, in a, in a, um, a chemical plant uh, as a young man. And that injured his hip. And, and so he kind of had this this. Um, hidden ailment, even though he was very athletic, he still skied even as Pope. Um, but, but he had a lot of pain in his physical body and, 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 and his life that he carried with him as well. But he surrendered that to God. I think really think the, the, the genius of John Paul II was that he placed all of his talents at the service of the church. He laid them before God and said, you've given me these talents. They're all yours. Just I, I am your instrument and just use me as you need me to be used. And when my, I've run the course of life, then you know, um, I'm, I'm, I place myself and my soul in, in your hands. Uh, and ultimately that example is, is applicable to each and every one of us. God has given each and every one of us amazing talents. You've started your podcast. I wrote my book. I'm, I'm doing public speaking across the United States on John Paul II. I kind of see my vocation as being a John Paul II megaphone, let, not letting people forget about him. But the, the secret really is um, to, to be, have a dedicated life of prayer and place our talents at the service of God, asking God to open the doors and show us how he wants to use us for his glory. Mother Teresa said this beautiful thing once. She said, I'm a small pencil in the hand of God writing a love letter to the world. And what she meant by that was, I'm just this stubby old pencil. God is the one moving me and doing the work. I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be thrown away at the end and forgotten. She won't be, but that was her attitude that all the good that she was able to accomplish was God's work using her. She surrendered. So she, she, it, it says humility. It says, I have talents, but I'm putting them in God's hands to use me for whatever he wants to use me for. Um, so, and I really think that's the secret to holiness is, first of all, we, we're nothing without prayer. If we're not connected to God 
through through our, our prayer, through um, through our, our complete devotion to Him, um, then then there's not much God can do with us. But that with that comes the, the surrender that that Lord, as You will, not as I will. As Saint John the Baptist said, "I must decrease; He must increase." If we do that, uh, we're going to see miracles in our lives every day. The connection with the Slavic people, Patrick. I mean, you and I both have our backgrounds and our ancestors that are, that's where we came from, right? And is uh, from my dad, it was his, he was he was born and raised in Czechoslovakia. And, um, and during the time of World War II, so he was, uh, well, uh, unlucky. I shouldn't even, I don't even know what the right word is to describe it, but he, you know, lived through first the, the Nazi invasion and, and them taking over Czechoslovakia, similarly to Poland as well. But uh, also the misfortune of having the Soviets and, and the Russians uh, so-called liberate Czechoslovakia um, and the oppression that the church was under um, from both of those um, brutal and diabolical regimes. What did it mean for the, for the Slavic people to have, you know, Karl Wojtyla coming from, you know, what the world is always looked at a, a country like Poland as the poor people, the Poles, you know, the Ukrainians, the Slav, the Slavics, you know, these poor people here that, uh, what do they really contribute to the world? You know, and we still right. go through that today. We still see that kind of, uh, unfortunate bias against Slavic people, but yeah. What did mm-hmm. it mean for the Slavic people? I mean, you could, I could speak for myself too, this with Patrick, but I'm sure you oh, have sure. some insights on this, but for him to, to come forth in 1978, when he became Pope, what, what did that mean to the Slavic people? Well, well, let me preface by this, that I, I grew up hearing Ukrainian jokes and Polish jokes all the time, e- even though, interestingly, um, I'm, uh, even though I, I'm mostly uh, German blood, uh, I, have, I have a significant amount of Polish blood, including my last name, and my ancestors um, left what's now northern Poland 200 years ago and went to what's now southern Ukraine. And they were there until 1904 before they came to Saskatchewan. So my roots are in Poland, uh, in in um, Eastern Germany, and 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 transition through through Russia slash Ukraine. So um, I feel very connected to that part of the world. I've traveled to that part of the world. I've been to Ukraine twice, Poland four times, and uh, it was absolutely transformational for Poland. To be elevated, to to have the, the this highly respected individual come from Poland uh, at a time where uh, it was one of the most oppressed countries in the world uh, as part of the Soviet regime, um, and today, I mean, he is still he's absolutely revered um, as as a Pole, as a as a human person. Um, he is he's. Um, He's he's a national hero and will always be a national hero to to the Polish people. And and as you said, he's not just a Pole, he's a Slav. And and all of the Slavic countries uh, truly revere him, no matter if they're Catholic or not. I mean, he was he he had tremendous amount of dignity. He spoke a dozen languages fluently. He traveled to one hundred and forty countries around the world. He he. I add up his air miles. It's like the equivalent of going to the moon and back twice. So, um, you know, he, he really did 
live the gospel and preach the gospel, he was seen live by more people than any human being who ever lived um, by a long stretch. I mean, you might say, well, Billy Graham was 50 years, but John Paul II drew 7 million people to the close of World Youth Day in, in, in Manila. It would take Billy Graham 10 years to draw 7 million people to the stadiums he did. I think that so, 7 million people, Patrick, I think that was the one of the largest gatherings in human history, I believe, human right? Human history, yeah. yes, absolutely. So, so what did it mean to the people? It was everything. It was everything. And, you know, Providence, uh, and, and this is just the thing, too, that, it, again, going back to John Paul II, surrendering all of his gifts and talents to, to God for the use of the church and for, for the glory of, of our Lord, um, God plucked him out of history uh, or placed him in history at that moment where history needed him, where the church needed him, where the world needed him uh, uh, during the oppressive time of, of the Soviet Union and collaborated with Ronald Reagan to bring down the Iron Curtain um, without a shot being fired. Yeah, I tell this story all the time that in, in 1979, June of 79, John Paul went back to Poland for the first time as Pope. He was elected in the fall of 78. Um, went back to Poland and uh, Ronald Reagan was at his ranch in California watching the news coverage of this. And for, I think some of your listeners will know this, that Fulton Sheen and Ronald Reagan were the two stalwarts preaching against the evils of communism in the United States through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And um, well, not so much Sheen in the 80s, Reagan, because uh, Sheen died in 79. But uh, Reagan saw this. He was preparing for the Republican National Convention. He was not yet nominated as president, the presidential candidate for the Republican Party. But he watched this coverage, and he jumped up out of his chair, and he said, the Pope is the key. He said that out loud. And his aides are looking at him like, what? What's that, Mr. Reagan? The Pope is the key to bringing down the Soviet Union. Look what he's doing. He went into the lion's den. He is there. He is changing the world by this visit to Poland. Millions of Poles came out to see him. The Soviet empire could not control the message. They tried. They failed. Millions more saw him on TV. There was something awakened in the Polish people after 30, 40 years of this oppressive regime and Reagan saw that. So one of the first things Reagan did when he was elected president in, in the fall of, 70, in 19, fall of 1980 was uh, early 81, he appointed the first ambassador to the Vatican, to the Holy See, and established diplomatic relations with John Paul II and, and the Vatican. Um, now, people may not know this too, that the Holy See is the city-state of, of the Vatican. It's actually a, a, the smallest nation on, on earth. And the Pope is the sovereign of that nation. So there, the Pope isn't just a spiritual leader, but he's also a temporal leader. And they have um, uh, status at the UN as a nation, the Holy See does. So Reagan established these diplomatic relations with the Holy See. And they shared a tremendous amount of intelligence back and forth through the 80s. And uh, not long later, uh, basically 10 years after John Paul II went to Poland in June of 79, the Iron Curtain fell. November of 1989 is when the Berlin Wall came down. So in those 10 years was Reagan and John Paul II collaborating 
their messaging, their intel the intelligence they shared with one another. Uh, a lot of what the US shared with, with John Paul II, he used that information to craft his speeches, his diplomacy, his, uh, his, uh, his visits to other countries and his, his diplomats lobbying other countries with sanctions and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it had a tremendous impact and, and it changed the world. I think one of the greatest moments captured on television, um, uh, just a, a massive victory for Christendom and Catholicism and, and just for all people of goodwill, which uh, was that the, the, uh, the papal visit in 1979, was it Patrick, when the Polish people were chanting, we want God, we want God. That was it. That was the one. That was it. Uh, that and was the one. Uh, I'm going to post that yeah, in the show notes and I want people to see that it is one of the most powerful moments you could ever see on television. If you understand the oppression that these Polish people were going through for decades and decades and decades, and in the face of the communists that were obviously probably infiltrating the crowd, probably all, not even infiltrating, they're probably in plain view. Um, and, uh, and when you see the video, you'll see uh, Pope John Paul II just have a, just look up and pause and just let the moment of these people's yes. chants I'm getting emotional yes. talking about it. It was beautiful, though, wasn't yeah. it, Patrick? You know, John Paul II's theater background really helped him. Um, people said that when he became Pope, he knew how to be the Pope already. He had been uh, an instrumental figure in the Second Vatican Council as a young bishop. And uh, he studied in Rome. He knew Italian fluently. He knew the world. He had traveled the world already uh, before he was elected Pope. And that moment in 1979, when he's standing on the stage, and people start chanting during his homily, million over a million people chanting, "We want God." He just stopped, stopped speaking, let them say what they had to say, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. He also, in a, in a beautiful moment, called down the Holy Spirit on his country. Mm. That was a powerful moment, and. I, I'm 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 getting teared up here too because yeah. I, I I saw this happen and uh, not not in person but in, in the video. There's actually a documentary I want to re recommend for everyone. It's called Nine Days That Changed the World. Uh, Newt Gingrich produced it about ten years ago um, about this visit that John Paul made to Poland in '79, uh, and and it really was pivotal. And, and he, he unpacks it in a beautiful way. He, he pulls in footage uh, and, and experts who experience that, but footage that had never been seen before. Um, and, and you really see what a pivotal moment in history this was that, uh, I mean, I grew up in Saskatchewan expecting that one day these nuclear bombs are going to fly over my head. And of course, they go over the North Pole, right? Russia fires it over the pole toward the United States. It's the shortest path. They're not going to go over Europe. They're going to shoot it over the pole. America is going to respond by shooting another nuke over the pole, and they're going to land on my head. That's Canadians. Yeah. I know, right? Right. We're gonna we're gonna get it. Maybe Northwest Territories, but Canada is going to get the fallout from this. That was in the back of my mind growing up. So just to know that this happened the way it did the, this the the evil empire as it was called fell without a shot being fired was truly a miracle and and john paul ii instrumental in making that happen just thinking of this right now i know that uh, obviously jp2 had just an amazing 
devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, what was his, um, I guess, relationship or devotion to Fatima? And Our Lady of mm. Fatima and that message of Fatima. And I, I just keep thinking of the errors of Russia will spread throughout the world. Um, yeah, w- w- is there any connection there, Patrick? That's that that can be shared, I guess. And, and how oh, th- this could be this Fatima? could be a whole show. It could be a whole show. So Should we do part when, two another when, time then? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get into it a little bit. I mean, yeah, John Paul was a, a boy when his mother died, and his father essentially said, uh, "Now Our Lady is your mother." And and if you've ever been to Poland, they're so devoted to Our Lady. Uh, the Black Madonna, Our Lady of Czestochowa, is at the sh- shrine at Nat Jasnogora. John Paul II went there as a young boy. He went there as a young man. He went there as a priest. He, he had made regular pilgrimages there, even as Pope. I think he visited there three times as Pope. Um, and, and one time he said, how many times have I come here and poured out my heart to you, my mother? Uh, and, and he said that that's where he formed the, his motto, Tokus Tuus, completely yours. He was so devoted to Our Lady. And that is, is very common for Polish people. Um, they, they fly to the Mother of God for uh, begging her intercession for their every need. And, and you know, through her intercession, God answers. So um, interestingly, uh, I think John Paul II always had a fascination with, with uh, um, Fatima uh, and a devotion. But um, when he was shot on May 13th, 1981 in St. Peter's Square, uh, he was recovering in the hospital. He asked for two things. He asked for uh, St. Faustina's diary. She was not even, not even blessed Faustina then. Um, he asked for Faustina's diary. He also asked for the third secret of Fatima. Now, I always find this fascinating. You know, if I was elected president of the United States, I would want to say, bring me all the papers on Area 51. Uh, bring me all the JFK assassination <laughs> documents. I want to read them. If I was elected pope, I'd say, bring me every, all the secret stuff on Fatima. I want that day one. I want to find out, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he, he, hadn't even, he hadn't even looked at the third secret of Fatima. Mm. And... Um, so he's reading these things as he's recovering and he's, he's pondering them and praying on them. And then, of course, he meets with, with Sister Lucia, who was, was still alive at the time, uh, the last seer of the Fatima uh, children. And um, in, in their conversations, he asks if, um, if this assassination attempt fulfills the third secret. She said yes. So there are still people out there who say, oh, there's some more to the third secret. You know, when Sister Lucia and John Paul II, two very holy people, say, folks, that's all there is. You just got to believe them, right? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so getting back to Russia, um, you know, one thing Our Lady said was that if, if Russia isn't consecrated to uh, my Immaculate Heart, that Russia will spread her errors uh, around the world. So uh, there had been previous attempts to consecrate Russia to the, the Immaculate Heart. John Paul II did, actually did, I think he did twice. And the first time apparently wasn't quite right. He did it the second time. And uh, Sister Lucia, again, she said, that fulfills what Our Lady requested. Now, there are people still who say, but it hasn't properly been consecrated. Well, listen, you, you got a saint and a soon-to-be saint who said that, that it was done right. So come on, give him a break and just go with it, right? So 
um, and the errors that still the errors of of Marxism are still alive and well in the world, but in some ways Russia is actually um, more Christian than the culture that's coming out of our country, Canada yes. and the United States. So th there are things that they're getting right and, and errors that our nations are spreading. Uh, there are four countries that have unlimited abortion, that have no laws governing abortion. North Korea, fully communist. Uh, China, fully communist. Canada and the United States. Canada and the U.S. should have nothing in common with communist North Korea and no. communist China, but we do in that regard. So, you know, we're exporting, as, as Americans, we're exporting abortion around the world, paying countries in Africa to have abortion policies. Now, thankfully, most African countries are saying, I want nothing to do with this because it's so against our culture, thankfully. So there, there are still errors that are emanating that need to be clarified and rectified and uh, put to bed. And, and so, but yes, Fatima was very close to John Paul II's heart. And uh, matter of fact, interestingly too, so was Fatima was very close to Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. uh, he was Protestant, but he uh, understood Fatima. He had a lot of Catholics in his cabinet. And because of John Paul II and a lot of the things going on, uh, he asked to be briefed on Fatima. So he understood the spiritual dimension of the, um, the, the, the Cold War, that it was not just a, a temporal thing, but it was a spiritual battle. And, um, and, and he was very cognizant of that. What if scenarios are, are something that's a temptation for all of us? I've often thought, what would JP2 think of this present world? What would it be like if he was here right now, traveling around, um, speaking against these, these evil forces in the world? But to your point, Patrick, I think uh, that makes perfect sense is that he was a saint for his time and the Lord yeah. sent him for that time. And, and the, um, but you know, the influence of his life is still reverberates through the, the world today and through the church. And uh, if we allow it, but what would you think of, um, how, how would, how would Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, how would he look at our present world right now? We talk about the errors of Russia from, from Fatima and I, you can't help but yeah. say it's not Russia, but it's it's an ideology we're talking about, and that would be one of Marxism. I think he would be writing uh, encyclicals and letters on Marxism and its errors. Um, John Paul II was very fixed, fixated uh, on the human person, understanding the human person as a, a unique, unrepeatable individual made in the image and likeness of God. Um, you know, people need to understand that all of creation is for the human person. The human person is for God. God only made, the only thing God made for himself is the human person. We are, we are made in his, his image and like this, but we're also destined to be with him forever. That's his desire for each human person. He gave us free will so we can choose that or we can choose something else, which is not him. Um, but our eternal, eternal destiny is either heaven or hell. We choose it. We're allowed to choose it, but all of creation is for us. So I think he would be doubling down on his teaching on the human person, on the errors of Marxism, and how in Marxism, people are just cogs in the wheel to serve the state. Uh, that's all we are. We're, we're just tools. Um, now, I also think that, that he would be calling for 
uh, prayer and fasting and uh, essentially doing a John the Baptist. And the Lord is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, I think that he would be um, really focused on that as well. And, and I think that would be his message. Uh, not a whole lot different than it was then, but I think that would be uh, his, his focus now. Yeah, I keep thinking of this. Uh, it's not the Chinese people. It's the, the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, exactly. what's been what's been unleashed on this world. And I think that, uh, you know, it's actually one of the, the few bright spots I found here in the last couple months is that these evils of this this regime, uh, you know, masquerading is something like a, like a real government when we're talking about a bunch of gangsters, Patrick. Um, Absolutely. It's not just to the world that they're doing uh, this harm, but also to their own people, you know. You, Sure. My understanding sure. is there's 100 million people that belong to the Chinese Communist Party that do very little, very little yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, uh, work. And they live very high on the hog, if I may. And uh, mm -hmm. the rest of the people live uh, under almost like a slavery-like condition. Now we've got this this virus um, that, uh, that's come to this, this world, has come to North America, Europe, to the West. And... Um, you know, in, in pure Marxist fashion, uh, it divides everybody uh, internally, especially you know, here in Canada, the United States. Everybody's looking to point fingers at each other when, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem like we're pointing the finger in the right direction. Um, yeah, absolutely. Where, yeah, where do you come out on all this, Patrick, this, um, this whole virus thing? I think we're called to live our lives without fear. One of the hallmarks of John Paul II's papacy was be not afraid. Be not afraid. Now, his be not afraid was don't be afraid to let Christ into your heart. Don't be afraid to let God transform you and use you for his glory, because it will be the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, people uh, often think of, of religious people as as being slaves or being living in drudgery or being miserable. Um, but, you know, when, when Christ fills your heart, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you, because the best thing for a person is to be a, a, an adopted son or daughter of God. Uh, it's it's absolutely transformational. It's filled with joy. It's soaked in joy. So, um, so the be not afraid. Uh, I I I have made it a very conscious decision that I'm not going to be afraid of a virus. I'm not going to be afraid of getting sick. I'm not going to be afraid of dying. Now, at the same time, I'm not going to live my life foolishly. And, and storm into a, a, a lab and drink down the virus. Uh, that's just that's just pure foolishness. So um, prudence and, and fearlessness. Um, fearlessness in living my faith in a dynamic way and um, fearlessness in, in just going out into the world uh, boldly and proclaiming the truth. And it, it's becoming in short supply. It's becoming a rare thing for people to live their lives that way. The early Roman, the early Christian community lived that way, and it changed the Roman Empire because of the way they treated each other, because of the way they lived their lives, markedly different from what people were used to. Um, in you know ancient Rome, people were were very paganistic. They had their gods. Um, they they served the state. They they. They paid homage to their gods, which I think in their back of their minds knew was just foolishness, but it was the tradition that they had, so they followed it. But these Christians lived differently. 
They treated each other with respect and with dignity. And we can't lose sight of that. I think too many Christians are, are, are living their lives acting in a petty way or treating each other and demeaning one another. We can't do that. Um, I, a funny thing, I posted something on Facebook and I sometimes do this without really thinking it through. And one of my friends, uh, a, a brother Christian, pointed out that my meme that I posted was not Christian. It was demeaning. And, you know, I thanked him for that because it's easy to get swept up in the age, in, in the way the world is going and being petty and demeaning to other people and not respecting people, even if we disagree with them. So I, I think we need to remind ourselves and remind each other that we need to live differently. We need to sound different. We need to act different. And that has to be led with love. But we can't do that by ourselves with, without prayer, without, I mean, all of this good stuff that we know is right can't come out from us unless we receive it first. And, and we do that through prayer and the sacraments. St. Charles Borromeo lived through an actual plague um, back uh, hundreds of years ago. And uh, he's been credited with this quote. It said, uh, fear the plague of the soul versus the contagion of the body. Mm. And, so, and I've thought often about that uh, many times in the last year or two, but our church is what the reaction that we've had, have we really been providing that leadership to this world, uh, that spiritual leadership? Because St. Charles Borromeo, while he did have, there was a lot of um, uh, 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 precautionary, you know, making sure that people weren't spreading the contagion of the, of the virus of that, uh, the pandemic at the time. But he still kept the churches open for the most part. There was catechesis on street corners, outdoors. Inside of churches, if you wanted to bless yourself with holy water, there would be one for those who felt like they were sick, and there were some that felt they were okay. Um, he put a high premium on sacramentals, on catechesis, and on the sacraments. I'm glad you brought up the sacraments. I mean, that is our rocket fuel for holiness. Mm. Um, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to eat us up. The only thing that's going to be our life preserver in this storm of life is the sacraments, uh, particularly confession and Holy Communion. Uh, that has to, the bread of life and, and the, the sacrament of, of reconciliation. Without them, we can't survive this storm. We just can't. Let's talk about that book really quick. I'm sure we've already kind of delved into a lot of the content of that book, but uh, maybe the process itself and, and why you picked the title and uh, yeah, maybe some of the background of why you wrote that book. Though. Yeah, so I started writing in, in 2019 because I realized that May of 2020 was going to be John Paul II's 100th birthday. So um, I wrote it in the fall of 19, not sorry, 19, uh, 2019 and was published uh, last year in 2020 for his, his 100th birthday. And why I wrote it, um, I wrote it just because I, I felt it welling up in me. Uh, I'd been giving talks about how John Paul II changed the world, about how I met him. But I really, I really started to see that um, my teenage kids had no experience of John Paul II. They were born after he died. Uh, they're, they're starting to graduate high school. We've got people in college who, who have no memory of John Paul II, high school graduates who have no memory of John Paul II. So I wrote it particularly for them so that they can kind of get, this is kind of a primer on John Paul II. Each of these hundred ways is a page to, to two pages max 
on on 100 ways he changed the world. So it's an easy read, but it's really in depth at the same time. And at, at my secondary audience is us, people that grew up with JP2. So when in the process of writing the book, I realized that I missed so much of what he did. His impact was what had the depth and the breadth of his impact was amazing. 26 and a half years on the world stage, he used every day to the max. I mean, it's truly someone to do what he did. It would take like 10 lifetimes for most people, but he was, he was um, relentless in, in his, his commitment to the papacy and to his, his work and to the salvation of souls. Um, uh, here, here's a giveaway. The number one, in what, number one thing that he did to change the world, the new evangelization. He understood that the church exists to evangelize. That's its sole purpose. Um, and, and he put a reemphasis on bringing people into right relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, the new evangelization needs to be new in methods and ardor. Ardor meaning passion and new methods. And, and we need to find new methods like podcasts to communicate the gospel, to communicate the truths of the faith. And we need to do it with zeal and with joy and with love. And that was really, that encapsulated his, his papacy. That and having a proper understanding of the human person, as I said before. 100 Ways That John Paul II Changed the World is the name of the book. We'll make sure we have all kinds of links on there in the show notes. Before we let you go, Patrick, tell us about Nova Media, what you're up to right now, and how people can get a hold of you and follow you online. Yeah, so people can get my book, get, get a signed copy of my book at booksbypatrick.com. It's actually patricknovakoski.com, but nobody can spell that. So booksbypatrick.com will take you to that page. You can buy an autographed copy of my book. It's available at amazon.ca, amazon.com, and our Sunday Visitor Bookstore. Uh, Nova Media. So I started doing uh, my first job out of college. I was working for the Archdiocese of Regina doing PR for the, the archdiocese. And God kind of had me as a, a journalist and as a PR guy. So this is my PR hat. And, and so what I do is I help Catholic organizations, nonprofit, for-profit, individuals, doesn't matter if you're Catholic and you want to uh, reach a broader audience, that's what I help people with. One of my, my newest clients was a 94-year-old Monsignor from, from the Bronx who wrote a biography. He served six popes. And he was, he's the last surviving member of Fulton Sheen's household. He lived with Fulton Sheen in Manhattan wow. uh, during the 50s. And uh, so his, I helped promote his memoir. And it was a, a fascinating uh, experience working with this holy priest to promote his book. Uh, but I've worked with profits, nonprofits as well, um, fundraising, just a, a whole host of different organizations. That website is catholicpublicist.com outstanding so good patrick well you know what and and now that the whole world knows you are a canadian you're from saskatchewan uh, you got an open invitation to come on this uh, podcast anytime thank you for your insights your stories it feels like we're just scratching the surface of pope john paul ii and what we're up against in uh, this life but uh, yeah god bless you for what you're doing patrick and uh, look forward to chatting with you again sometime in the future we'll do it again soon david well, big thanks again to Patrick Novakoski for joining us. And that book, again, it's called 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World. And that's available on all kinds of different platforms, whether that's through Amazon or through Patrick's website. 
Also knock on the door of your Catholic bookstore in your area and ask for them to bring the book in. It's a great read. Highly recommend it. And thanks again to Patrick for sharing his insights with us. And the Catholic Connect podcast is on Twitter, on Facebook. Follow us, subscribe as you see fit, and drop us a review on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find your fine podcasts. It helps us get our message out. This message of love uh, from the church, from Jesus Christ, and indeed Jesus Christ on the cross. He's all we need. That should be enough for us. Let's base our life on the sacraments, especially that of the Eucharist, receiving it worthily and also going to confession. And we know how often we got to go. We got to go every Lent, every Advent, and anytime you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon. 